You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Welcome to this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. And uh, as normal, begin with a shout out to all of our new listeners. And this week we have new listeners from London, Portsmouth, Brighton, Guildford, Reading, Manchester, Leicester, Tombridge, Bournemouth, Slough, Chichester, Fareham, Sheffield, Kingston-upon-Thames and Newcastle-upon-Tyne, all in the UK. And then also from Dublin, Cork and Limerick in the Republic of Ireland, Valencia in Spain, Catalonia in Spain, Paris, Brandenburg in Germany, Frankfurt in Germany, Stockholm in Sweden, Mumbai in India and Melbourne and Sydney in Australia. And finally, some new listeners from Ohio in the USA. Uh, wherever you are, a warm welcome to the GDPR Weekly Show. And always give a shout out to our new listeners, but also a warm shout out too to all my regular listeners. Really do appreciate the time that you take to spend 30 minutes or so every week catching up on the latest news in the world of GDPR. And we're always looking for ways to improve the GDPR Weekly Show. So if you have any comments, please do drop me an email at podcasts at insurety.co.uk. That's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk. Podcasts at insurety.co.uk. I uh, read every single email you send, and thank you for your kind comments about the show. Um, unfortunately, I don't have time to reply to all of them, but our channel will send you a reply too. And uh, please keep the feedback coming. It helps us improve every episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. And coming up in a few moments... I'll um, give you the details of what's coming up in this week's edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. So, coming up in this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, we have a look at how GDPR can affect the sending of corporate Christmas cards. So, how it can affect the sending of your Christmas cards to your clients and your suppliers. Then we talked about the uh, massive data breach at Marriott Hotels this week. We then look at a survey from Deloitte, which has some interesting statistics about how companies are dealing with data subject access requests. And then on a similar vein, we look at a survey of GP surgeries and practices, which again shows some interesting figures in costs of how much GDPR is actually costing business and organisations to put into practice. We then have a short article on a data breach at Dow, which was released this week. And finally, we end up with an article on the fines that have been imposed this week on Uber for a data breach that it suffered several months ago. So, once again, a very packed episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you enjoy it. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. We mentioned last week about the effect of GDPR on the Christmas activities in a small town in Germany. And this week we learned that GDPR may affect Christmas traditions here in the UK because it is being considered at the moment that corporate Christmas cards could be under threat because GDPR rules mean that companies need permission to send seasonal greetings via 
email or indeed via a physical chart. Um, the festive chart that also traditionally sent out by all of us to our suppliers and to our clients, but the charts could fall victim to GDPR if it's applied strictly. And I think, again, there has to be an element of realism into this. I think if you're sending a genuine season's greetings card to your employers or your or your employees or your suppliers or your uh, customers or your prospects, and I'd be a little more wary with prospects, but certainly your suppliers and your customers, providing it's a genuine season's greetings Christmas message, then frankly, I as a practitioner would not see that as being a, a breach of the GDPR rules. However, it is a breach of GDPR rules if it's a marketing exercise and you don't have consent to send marketing material to those individuals. Uh, the other area, of course, where this could have an impact, and in fact they've been warned by the relevant bodies, is that MPs who send unsolicited Christmas cards out to their constituents are also being taught by the rules. Um, now, it was for MPs and for others sending like that to household addresses, there is a way around this, um, but it's perhaps not as friendly. Um, if the card is not personalised, either in the card itself or on the envelope, so you send it to the occupier at 13 the High Street, um, whatever town, then there's no breach of GDPR. But if you send it to Mr. Andrew Smith at 12 High Street, any town, and he hasn't given the MP consent to do that, then potentially that is a data breach. Now, how many of these people will actually be sufficiently ired by the fact that they have received a Christmas card they weren't expecting, that they're actually going to bother to report that to the ICO? Mm, I really don't know, and I would hope common sense would prevail, and it won't be very many. But the potential is there. So it's just really a, a shot across the bow of this to say, if you're sending out Christmas cards, try and make sure they don't have too much of a marketing message. Great if you've got permission to send marketing material, then you can send them the same way you want. But if you don't, then try not to have too much of a marketing message, but do still continue to send Christmas cards, because, hey, it is a season of goodwill after all. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. The major news this week in the world of GDPR has, of course, been the massive data breach announced on Friday by Marriott Hotels via its Starwoods division, Starwoods Reservations, um, which has potentially released details of 500 million people, which, by any estimations, is one hell of a data breach. Um, The breach actually goes back for four years. Um, Marriott discovered there's been unauthorised access to this data for the last four years, and data including your travel history, personal information, and passport numbers, 
credit card numbers, credit card uh, expiry dates, and in some cases, very importantly, the three digits off the back of the card, the CVV numbers, make this a substantial data breach. And Marriott, I think, have not helped their own corner by not only having this breach, but taking from September the 4th until November the 30th to actually come public about it. So they discovered the breach way back on September the 4th, and they only got in contact with the ICO on November the 30th. Now, if you consider that, of course, any of you who've been through GDPR training with ourselves or others will know that the, the rules say you have 72 hours after the discovery of the data breach to report the data breach to the ICO if it's a significant data breach. And obviously, by anybody's estimation, 500 million people is a very significant data breach. But Marriott chose not to do that. They chose to wait until the end of November. And I think that that's going to come back to bite them. Uh, because it means that people who could have taken action perhaps to prevent this data being used by whichever third party has had unauthorised access to the data, of course that window has gone because they've had now in effect, an additional two months to actually do whatever they want to do with your data. And so I think Marriott would be finding themselves with a big fine from the ICO, not just in the UK, but in other territories across Europe as well, because, of course, these 500 million people are going to be spread right around the globe. Um... We don't know the details yet of any cybersecurity due diligence that Marriott carried out, but we have to question, of course, whether they were carrying out sufficient due diligence or indeed whether there was any due diligence at all. Um, it's believed that the hacker was already having illegal access into the Starwoods network prior to Starwoods becoming part of the Marriott group. But it goes to show, I think, not just in financial terms, but in damage terms, that how a serious data breach can damage a company's reputation. And obviously companies like Marriott Hotels trade heavily on their reputation. It's one of the things that keeps them apart from other hotel chains operating in their space. And... Of course, potentially, assuming that all of this data has gone to the same person or people, they now have an awful lot of data about those individuals because they know their habits, their destinations, where they often go, their preferred arrival times, their preferred method of travel. It's all there without any consent from the individuals who gave up their information. And the size of this data breach, it's considered that there could even be national security implications due to the fact that potentially 500 million passport numbers are now in the wrong hands. And people, no doubt, have already made money out of this data, probably by selling it on to other third parties, who in many cases perhaps have bought the data 
quite innocently, believing it to have been gathered with consent, when in fact it's been gathered in this breach from Marriott. But of course that's very hard to prove and something I suspect will take several years to work its way through the system. But I think, again, you know, it just goes to show how easy it is for something like this to have a major impact. And I mean, we'll wait to see what fine will be imposed by the ICO and others on Marriott for this. But I would think we could well be talking into the tens, if not the hundreds of millions of pounds, which is going to make a big dent in the equity value of Marriott Hotels. But we wait to see on that. That's probably going to be several months into 2019 before we know what the end result will be. But certainly by far the biggest data breach that we've reported to date. And we're sure there will be updates on this data breach from Marriott Hotels. And uh, as soon as we have any news, either from Marriott themselves or from the ICO, then we will, of course, bring it to you. But in the meantime, if you have stayed at a Marriott Group Hotel in the last uh, four years and you've used the same username and password at Marriott as you use in other places, it's probably a very good idea that now's a good time to change your password into other third-party services, particularly into your banking details and credit cards, etc. Check us out on Facebook. Just a reminder that as well as the podcast, we now have our own Facebook group. Please do pop along and see us there at https colon slash slash www.facebook.com slash groups slash GDPR weekly show. That's always one word, GDPR weekly show. And uh, do please come and join the group and follow the discussions that are going on. You're listening to the GDPR weekly show with your host, Keith Budden. A survey by Deloitte uh, released this week showed that only 30% of organisations are responding to uh, data subject access requests within the 30 days set out within GDPR. So, of course, that means that 70% are taking longer than the prescribed 30 days, which potentially could lay that 70% open to action by the Information Commissioner's Office. Um, it's really important to realise that the GDPR does only give you 30 days from the date that you're first notified of a data subject access request. And it's important to realise too, and I, I hope many of you already do this, that A, you should be asked for such information from the person making the request that you are as sure as you can be that the request is genuine and that the person making the request is entitled to make the request. But secondly, um, that the 30 days starts from when they first make contact with you and not from when they successfully verify their identity. So it's really important that you have procedures in place that mean as soon as you get a data subject access request that you can then start to process it and get the data out to the data subject themselves. And really it's about making sure that you have a clear map of your data, that you know where your data is and that you can retrieve it. 
Um, interestingly as well, of those organisations questioned by Deloitte, um, 70%, so the same number who uh, hadn't been able to satisfy a request on time, uh, 70% surveyed have increased their staff and the increase in staff are either focused partly or entirely on GDPR compliance. For many, this included the recruitment of a dedicated data protection officer, DPO. Uh, we would add, of course, that you don't actually need to have an internal DPO. You're entitled under GDPR to have an external G uh, DPO, and that can make a lot more sense because current salaries for DPOs are anywhere from £60,000 a year outside of London to up to close on £100,000 a year for positions within the city and within central London. And the same is true in other cities. Um, and so the cost of having a DPO is very high. When in fact most companies in our experience, most organisations don't actually need a full-time DPO an external DPO can perform the role just as, just as well. And we, as a company, provide external DPO services for considerably less than the £70,000 salary of a full-time DPO. So if you'd be interested to learn more about our external DPO services, then please do get in touch. Um, either drop us an email at podcasts at gdprtrainingcourse.co.uk or at podcasts at insurety.co.uk, that's E-N-S-U-R-E-T-Y.co.uk, or call me, uh, T. Spudden, the presenter of this show, on my mobile, which is 07709-584-182. That's 07709-584-182. Any other methods will get to us, and... Uh, please do inquire and I think you'll be very surprised at how much you can save by having an external DPO. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Following on from the Deloitte uh, survey story, which we ran a little earlier in this episode of the GDPR Weekly Show, Another survey this week, this time speaking to GPs, surgeries um, and practices, found that over half of GP practices have seen an increase in the number of subject access requests since GDPR was introduced. And a good number of those practices are having to have a member of staff spend over seven hours a week, so one working day, effectively, a week, dealing with them. Under the new uh, GDPR regulations, practices are no longer able to charge for subject access requests, which means they're facing a significant increase in costs as well as workload, because previously it was quite common for GPs' practices to charge up to £50 for providing a hard copy of medical records to patients, and up to £10 for computerised records, and even more if the um, medical records were being released to a solicitor, example, in the case of there being an accident or an employment tribunal. But now, of course, under GDPR, as they fall just the same as every other data controller, and unless you can prove that a request is vexatious or there are too many requests from one individual in a period of time, 
then you have to fulfill the data subject access request and you're not allowed to charge for it. It's interesting as well for this survey that uh, 8% of doctor surgeries said that it took less than 15 minutes to process a, a subject access request. 62% said it took them longer than 30 minutes and 30% said it took 15 to 30 minutes. So the majority by far saying it took them longer than 30 minutes to satisfy a single subject access request. And again, um, of the GP practices surveyed, most said they were receiving seven subject access requests a week, although some received many more than this. Practices also incurred costs relating to photocopying, printing and postage if the patient required a hard copy of their record, again, all without being able to reclaim any of that money from the patient themselves. Uh, the NHS, in their guidance to GPs on GDPR, prior to the GDPR coming into force, said that there should be a minimal additional burden on the practice and recommended that patients were provided with online access to their records. Now, a number of doctor surgeries have started to do this, but even in this scenario, it's still taking time to process data subject access requests because the documents need to be read and vetted. And particularly if there are any third parties named in the documents, then those documents need to be redacted before the documents can be released to the patient making the request. And so the doctors are saying that GDPR is costing them money to satisfy each request, not just in staff time, but in practical time as well, or practical costs as well. And that the, their complaint is that the charges before GDPR didn't cover the cost, but now of course it's even worse because they're having to provide all this for free. And so they are looking via their um, body, the BMA, to approach government for extra funding to deal with GDPR requests. You're listening to the GDPR Weekly Show with your host, Keith Budden. Marriott Hotels weren't the only company to announce a data breach this week. Um, Dell, who provide computers, of course, um, themselves suffered a data breach. They found that um, customer names, email addresses, and hashed passwords, i.e. encrypted passwords, had been potentially uh, released without authorization. And uh, in a statement, Dow said it was still investigating the incident, but said the breach was not extensive, and the company engineers had detected the intrusion on the same day it happened, and unlike uh, Marriott Hotels, um, Dell instantly reported the data breach to the ICO. It's a much less serious data breach than uh, Marriott because in Dell's case, A, the passwords that were taken were encrypted, although it's not clear quite to what level they were encrypted, but nonetheless, they're not released in plain text. And there weren't any payment cards or any other 
customer information, like even addresses, stolen in this instance. So a relatively low T uh, data breach, but nonetheless significant. Um, and I think perhaps it's lucky for Dell that the Marriott breach has happened on the same week and taken all the uh, spotlight away from Dell. So it's a relatively minor data breach from Dell, but notified to the ICO. And again, if in future weeks we have any update from Dow or the ICO, we will bring it to you in a future edition of the GDPR Weekly Show. Check us out on Facebook. It's been an expensive week for Uber this week. Regular listeners to the GDPR Weekly Show will know that a few weeks ago we reported on a data breach at Uber, which had affected some 2.7 million UK customers when the data breach resulted in the full names, addresses and phone numbers of those users uh, going astray. And the ICO has now made a judgment on this and has said that, in their opinion, the data had been stolen via avoidable data security flaws. And so uh, Uber have been fined £385,000. And as if that wasn't enough, uh, and again, this perhaps shows the difference in how different ICOs across Europe are applying GDPR, because you remember last week we mentioned about a relatively low fine in Germany. Well, in uh, this case, it's something uh, of a different scenario. Because in the UK, 2.7 million customers' data fine us £385,000. But for the same breach, for losing the data of 174,000 Dutch customers, so really only 5% of the number of UK customers, but instead of being fined £385,000, the Dutch Information Commission's Office has fined Uber €600,000, or in today's rate, £532,000. But nonetheless, leaving aside the, the differences between the two fines for a moment, that means that Uber have been fined this week uh, somewhere in the region of £900,000 for losing this data in this data breach. Steve Eckersley, Director of Investigations at the Information Commission's Office in the UK, said this was not only a serious failure of data security on Uber's part, but a complete disregard for the customers and drivers whose personal information was stolen. Uber had done nothing to alert people that the data had been downloaded or to support people affected after the um, breach was known, he said. And of course there was always a danger that any person who had their data stolen would potentially be at an increased risk of fraud. Uh, the 2.7 million customers were part of a massive cache of 57 million people taken by a group of hackers in October and November 2016. Um, but then it's only much later than that that Uber revealed the data breach. Uh, and in the US, uh, Uber have now been fined $148 million 
over the same data breach. So definitely a very expensive week for Uber. Um, interestingly, the hackers who took the data have been in contact with Uber since the data breach in, and Uber paid the attackers their ransom demand. They paid them $100,000 or £78,000 in, in sterling to destroy the data that had been taken. And Mr Eckersley from the ICO went on to say that paying the hackers and then saying nothing about it was not an appropriate response to a cyber attack. Uber, in their defence, say they have now changed how they handle data and now employed a Chief Privacy Officer and a Data Protection Officer who oversaw its operations. It added, we've made a number of technical improvements to the security of our systems, both in the immediate weighted incident and in the period since. We are now pleased to close this chapter. So, another very substantial fine for uh a data breach and so we wait to see what happens to Marriott and Dow and others who've suffered a data breach this week and of course as always we'll bring you news of any significant data breaches and all their penalties here on your weekly episode of the GDPR weekly show you're listening to the GDPR weekly show with your host Keith Budden So that brings us to the end of this week's episode of the GDPR Weekly Show. I hope you found it useful. I hope you found it entertaining. Please do let me know. Let me have your feedback by sending an email to podcast.insurity.co.uk. You can find out more about us and Insurity at www.insurity.co.uk. And I look forward to speaking to you again, same time, same place, next week. Have a good week, everybody, and remember to keep your data safe. Check us out on Facebook. The GDPR Weekly Show is an insurance production. Follow us on Facebook at www.facebook.com slash insurance.